The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Kia ora tato, this is Toby Manhai with another episode of your friendly local politics podcast, Gone by Lunchtime. What you're about to hear is part of the Gone by Lunchtime Megapod, a 12-hour epic event recorded on September 20 at Spinoff HQ. Enjoy. This is Gone by Lunchtime, Election 2023 Megapod, and I'm hoping that we have on the phone Grant Robertson. Hello, Grant. Kia ora, Toby. Um, if that is you, you sound slightly like Darth Vader. Really? All right. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. it's, I've, it's been a long day. <laughs> so, you know, um, uh, hopefully, that, hopefully that settles down in a second. You're, you're, we call you the finance spokesperson for the Labour Party now, don't we? That's the done thing. I, I, be, I believe in this period of time you do um, do that, yes. Um, a few quick questions that we're rolling through with everyone who comes on uh, today. First is, to go into win a box of chocolate fish, can you guess, please, to one decimal point what the turnout will be in the election? Oh, good question. Um, I think it will be 78.4. 78.4 said with confidence. Very good. Second question, uh, political TV, political television shows, which is the one that you would take to a desert island if you could only have one? You won't be surprised to hear that Andrew Geddes just selected Borgen, of course. <laughs> of course he did. God. Um, <laughs> I would take the thick of it. Okay, the thick of it, good. And finally, the most important theme of the election is, of course, Mojo and what's happened to it, where it's gone, where we can find it. Um, the We're doing a scientific study with all our guests, asking them, how is your personal level of Mojo of this moment, ranging from zero being none, <laughs> gone, lost it, can't find it, and ten, can't move for the Mojo, absolutely surrounded in Mojo? <coughs> Look, I think the, the the number eight out of ten is very fashionable at the moment. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pump for eight out of ten of eight level eight mojo okay. at this point. Very good. Did you watch the debate last night? I did. Yes, yes, I did watch it. Did you um, make it all the way and, through? Yeah. Um, I did. I didn't make it through the panel at the end. Okay. My apologies to my former former colleagues there, but uh, no, I did make it through the debate. Yep. David Cunliffe doing quite some quite good uh, punditry, I think, at the end there. Looking, um, yeah, I missed that. He's yeah. been absent for a while. Good to have him back. Looking quite cattish. Do you remember how he's quite? Remember cats? Do you remember cats that looked like David Cunliffe from back in the day? Well, yeah, I, I do remember that. Um, beard or no beard? Uh, sort of, sort of like half to two thirds beard. I'm not sure. Um, 
What's yeah. that? Has that got a name? Is that something the kids are doing nowadays? I don't, prob- probably. He's an influencer. He's an influencer now. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about 2005 briefly because that's come up a bit in the course of this campaign as a sort of, I guess, a precedent, mostly from uh, Labour-associated people as a kind of inspiration, look, we can turn this around. You were, legend has it, that Grant Robinson was a staffer on that campaign and came up, it was from before the campaign, with the interest interest off student loans thing. Is that a true story? It's it's a true story that I worked on that policy. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure quite. I remember being in meetings where we were talking about hmm. uh, what to do um, in that space. And yeah, it was massive. That was a little a little bit before the campaign that we came up with it and did it. And there was a group of us who, who worked over a period of time in secret. We were called the Thursday Group because uh-huh. we had to come up with a name so that people didn't know what we were working on. And, yeah, I was certainly there for that and then through the campaign as well, um, which was obviously a memorable one for loads of reasons, but it was um, it was the 2005 campaign. So you had Don Brash and you had... Um, Helen and very different approaches. And yeah, there are similarities to this campaign. Um, certainly the use of race was one of those mm. by, by some of our opponents, but um, every election's got its own character, I reckon. Is there a Thursday group currently at work in the back rooms of the Labour Party? When are they <laughs> going to come up with the policy? <laughs> Look, there probably is a Thursday group, but nowadays I wouldn't get told about it <laughs> because it wouldn't be it wouldn't be me. No, look, we've we've put out the not all of our policies. There's a couple more things to come in the next um, few days, but okay. um, we've put out the majority of our policy. Um, Chris Hipkins said last week uh, after the News Hub poll, I think that there's a mood for change in the country. Is that do you agree with that? Uh, to an extent, I do, yeah. I mean, I, I made some comments at, at Prefu along kind of similar lines, but what I sense in the community is that people are tired, um, that they're anxious, uh, that they're a bit grumpy, and they want those things to change. Um, and, you know, they've, they've experienced spikes in the cost of living on top of COVID and everything else that might be going on. And so... You know, I think that drives a mood for change. And I guess the question I raised that day at Prefu was, yeah. okay, I understand that and fully understand why people want things to change in their lives in that way, but will a change of government actually deliver that? And in my view, it, it won't. It, it will deliver, uh, deliver other sorts of changes that will be negative for those people. But I think I understand what Chris is saying, you know, when we're out and about. It's been hard, it's been tough, and people want that to change. And and that mood is definitely part of the campaign. And when you wake up in the morning and see reports saying that petrol is on its way up to $3.50 a litre, is there part of you that just wants to roll over? I mean, it's, you know, people use the head, <laughs> headwinds cliche, but there must be times when you think, oh, for fuck's sake. Um, I think it's just continuous headwinds in the, in the six years that I've been here, the mm. majority of them anyway. Um, you look at, you know, I mean, those sorts of things, as you're kind of alluding to, are significantly beyond our control. Um, and, you know, oil prices around the world are spiking. There's all sorts of fun and games going on among the OPEC countries on production that is pushing the price up and, and we're at the end of that supply chain. So, yep, there is definitely some headwinds, but equally, 
Um, I can also, you know, see the New Zealand economy as as pretty robust and certainly turning a corner in terms of where we've been with inflation and so on. So, you know, there there are ups and downs, and you know, I contemplate them all before rolling out of bed in the morning. <laughs> um, one of the one of the criticisms has been levelled is that. Sure, COVID, people understand that. It was uh, not something that anyone had in their playbook and things had to change. But that, to quote Nicola Willis, every single year, Grant Robertson has blown the budget and broken his spending limits. What's your answer to that? For the years that aren't the COVID years, put the COVID to one side. Yeah, yeah. look, well, I don't know that we can all completely agree on when COVID, under Nicola's definition, on when COVID stopped. Because obviously when we were dealing with both Delta and then the Omicron through 21 and into early 22, um, you know, there was still significant strain on us there. So I'm not sure I'd buy the, the framing. But regardless, my response to the to the, the point about that is she's referring to what are called our budget allowances. Yeah. We set those in December each year for the budget in May the next year. Um, things often happen between December and May. You go this year, where we had a major cyclone and the Auckland anniversary weekend floods, and you have to respond to those things as they arise. The second thing I'd, I'd say, too, is that the budget allowances are a means to an end. And for me, the ends are the fiscal rules that we've set ourselves, which include getting ourselves back into surplus over over the, the four-year period we're in, and keeping debt under 30% of GDP. And we've been able occasionally to invest more in a budget, but still keep to where we said we would be in terms of debt particularly. And so for me, we have to respond to what's in front of us. Um, at this budget, inflation stuck around for higher. We had the floods. We had to spend a little bit more. But um, ultimately, we get measured on those bigger picture indicators and less uh, partisan commentators than Nicola, such as Moody's and Standard Boards and so on, have said that they think that we're doing a pretty good job of getting through and, and rebuilding the economy. Just on COVID, since that came up, one of the things I've thought a few times over the course of this campaign is, and I'll tell you when, one was at that Bloomberg address, I think you were there, uh, when Chris Hipkins spoke, and the other was at the debate last night. When Chris Hipkins started talking about COVID, he sort of got a bit of energy, I think. Um, and I totally mm. understand why a decision has been taken, or I assume a decision has been taken, not to talk about COVID. People don't want to talk about COVID. They just, none of us wants to have a conversation about COVID. It's that really annoying rash that we've got rid of, or whatever. On the other hand, it's arguably the singular achievement of the six years in government for you guys. And there were things that were achieved there that can be sold to a public. Is there, I mean, is that a is that a missed opportunity? And is there a, an argument that actually, hell, yeah, let's talk about COVID. No one wants to talk about it, but we would be in a far worse place if we hadn't taken these decisions we'd taken. Yeah, I, I recall reading a, a commentator, a Mr. T. Manheimer, making this point, I believe, in a in a recent column. And look, I, I've got some sympathy for the view. I tend in my economic speeches hmm. to talk a bit more about COVID because it is still the backdrop to the place that we are now. And you also would have heard me somewhat overuse the phrase about hindsight economics because. The issue here is the decisions that we made in COVID 
to support New Zealanders' businesses, households, the health system. All of those decisions largely backed by the opposition. And in fact, in some cases, they wanted us to go further. Always had a consequence because it was largely borrowed money. And so I find that if you don't have that context, it's pretty hard to understand how net debt is where it is or mm. um, why we, you know, why the, the um, economy is, is in this place that it is. So, yeah, I, I, I do tend to talk about it. I think where people, when I mentioned before the tiredness, the grumpiness and the anxiety, a fair bit of that emerges from COVID and I think that's why people are reluctant to have it as the sort of frame mm. because everybody is desperate to look forwards but it is undoubtedly context. And, and when it comes to Chris specifically, I thought there were a few moments last night where he sparked up talking about inequities in the health system was one where he really did and climate change was another. But I, 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 he absolutely has a really good story to tell about a person who had to take some enormously difficult decisions and, you know, filter through a lot of different information, deal with a lot of different people. And he should be rightly proud of his role there. So, yep. I think I think it's um, I think it's important that that he's recognised for that, and, and where we can find opportunities, we take them. But I suspect if we talk about it too much, we do we do trigger a few things for people. Um, we've got, we've got the series that we do called Youth Wings, which is um, all the interesting and cool people who are standing for the youth wings of their parties. And the one in the Young Labour episode yesterday, the father of the young the young the Young Labour. Uh, leader Jazz McIntosh says Labour is a centrist party now and says it with no enthusiasm. Says sort of bemoans it. Do you think that's fair? Do you think? Do you, I mean, is it, is it an arguable? You know, is Labour a centrist party now? No, I think Labour is, is a centre left party, a social democratic party, and it's been that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at the, I mean, obviously the eighty four to ninety era, we 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 take out of the picture as being a, a, a frightening experiment. But the otherwise, we've been a social democrat party since we kind of got back into government after the first Labor government. So I think that I don't think it's changed that much, and I don't think a centrist party would be as focused on fair pay agreements or. The work we've done necessarily in state housing and so on. I think I think there's areas of work that we've done, and including in the social areas as well, decriminalising abortion and and these sorts of things. Where I think we we can demonstrate that we're we're a genuinely centre left party um, rather than than purely centrist. I think in this campaign, you know, obviously because there are parties to the left, parties to the right, you get the kind of contrast, mm. I guess, the point about being uh, uh, the Labour Party, and I guess if you were talking to someone from the National Party, they might say this too, but being the party that is leading the government, inevitably, in order to do that, we are looking to get votes from people who themselves would call themselves centrist. And so, right. you know, it all becomes a little bit secular and self-defining. But no, I think if you look at us, we're... we're firmly in the social democratic tradition of a centre-left Labour Party. You're, I mean, you mentioned 84 to 90, and, I mean, you you, you were sort of forged in that fire in a way, as best I understand it. That was a kind of uh, inspirational, to use the word, <laughs> in one direction, for you and your political identity. Is that fair to say? 
It is. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, in both directions, really, in the sense that, you know, and I talked about this in my in my maiden speech in Parliament, you know, in the sense that I, I found David Longy as a, you know, I wasn't a deeply informed, um, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old, mm. but I, I found him inspirational. You know, the joke I told him, the, you know, big guy with glasses, kind, white guy with glasses kind of thing, he was an mm. inspiring figure. But I mean that seriously and... You know, I do have visceral memories of the Oxford Union debate and of just the kind of person he was and of some other things that that government did, including stuff like homosexual law reform and establishing the Ministry of Women's Affairs and, you know, some, some you know, Treaty of Waitangi Settlement basis stuff, really, really big transformational things. But the other side of it was a deep um, distrust and eventually um, dislike of mm. the of Rogernomics and and certainly down in Dunedin where I grew up, I saw the impact of the the speed and the haste with which those reforms were undertaken. Um and they were clearly designed to to advance an agenda that was antithetical to the Labour movement, which of course eventually led Roger and his crew to bugger off and, and form act. And and when you as we you know, at the twilight of the second term of Labour government, which you've been this instrumental force what is your hand-on-heart assessment in terms of how much you've done to redress that Roger Douglas, Ruth Richardson impact? I know that there was a budget last year that was important in terms of benefits, but do you feel as though you've done as much as you would have liked to redress that legacy? I certainly think we've we've taken some pretty big steps, and the budget you're talking about is actually the 2021 one, right, right. which I, you know, the, the first part of which I, I I indulged myself a little bit in the speech and a bit of of, of yeah. you know less prose, more poetry to to really highlight that 30 years on, I do think that there were we, we have done a number of things that have that have done that, particularly around things like main benefits, fair pay agreements coming in, um, some of the work we've done making tertiary education fees free for that first year. You know, so there's there's significant things, I think, that they have turned that around. Where it's harder, been harder, is in some of the architecture of of that time. And, you know, the, one of my phrases, again, probably a little overused, is that it's it's much easier to squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube than it is to stuff it back in. Mm. And when I look at, you know, for example, the energy sector in New Zealand, and I think Max Bradford really did, did a number on New Zealanders there, but, but getting that all back together again, for example, is really difficult and extremely costly. And you, you, you inevitably end up having to kind of work around that, find different ways of dealing with the issues rather than perhaps some of the, the more structural elements. And the other bit, which I think I have made some progress in, is reforms around both the Public Finance Act and the Reserve Bank Act, where they were kind of central you know, pieces of the changes, the Public Service Act, which was the State Sector Act. We've done reforms in all three of those areas. There's more to do there, but I do think getting to that is, you know, a bit of unfinished business, to coin a phrase that I think Roger might have used. <laughs> yeah, quite right. Um, I will let you go. You have things to do. Last thing, though, um, you're you're on the list only this time. You're missing the Wellington Central campaign beat? In a strange way, yeah, I am, actually. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, supporting um, Ibrahim Omar, our candidate, in the background. Sure. But um, the, the Wellington Central any electorate campaign, I think, gives shape 
to an election campaign. You're, you know, in my role at the moment, sort of travelling around the country, supporting people and and doing a bit of, of sort of strategic stuff here in Wellington. And it, it's very different from the rhythm of door knocking and phone calling. And in Wellington Central, they have this ridiculous number of public meetings. I think Ibrahim yeah. is doing 20 or something of them. And so you, you you do have a real kind of cornerstone of your campaign. I've been door knocking in other places and I've been meeting people. So I'm certainly still connected to the campaign. But yeah, it's it's funny. It's very, very different. I mean, I, I don't regret the decision. It was the right decision. But um, yeah, and it's, and it's an interesting race, as Wellington Central always is. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's fascinating. Hey, thank you, Grant. Good luck with the rest of the campaign. And uh, speak soon. Cheers, Fabi. Thank, thank you. Thank you. That was Grant Robertson. Uh, we are going to try to get on the phone now, uh, Rough Munji. Do you, should, we, should, we, should we go away for a minute and then come back? What's the best bet? Yeah, we're going to go away for a minute. We're going to come back. It's going to be really short, though. It's going to be just going to turn this one around. Lickety spit. This is the Megapod. Thanks for listening. There's plenty more where this came from on your Gone By Lunchtime feed. Thanks to Jane, Te here, and Samuel and the rest of the team at the spin-off for making the Megapod happen. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at the spin-off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.